Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a replacement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. Son of Man has come, eating and drinking, and his critics say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. There is no greater love than this, to lay down your life for your friends. stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Well, good morning, sleep-in service. It's always good to see you. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, and uh, we just finished a moment here honoring veterans to all those veterans who are watching online this week. We are so unbelievably grateful for your service, and we thank you so much. We do not take the freedom that we are using today for granted, and we are deeply, deeply thankful. Honestly, I felt a little weird Googling our topic this week, kind of felt like a seventh grade boy because I'm Googling what makes a good friend. It just felt kind of weird. Um, when I was in junior high, I would have looked that up in an encyclopedia. I didn't even know what Wikipedia was at the time, but I Googled it, right? What makes a good friend? And the list popped up, somewhat predictable. A good friend is there for you no matter what. They don't judge you. They don't put you down or deliberately hurt your feelings. A good friend is kind and respectful to you. There's someone whose company you enjoy. They're loyal, trustworthy. They laugh with you. They stick around when things get tough. They make you smile. They're there to listen, and they comfort you when you cry. And all, the, all of the lists were pretty much exactly the same, same, same list of qualities as I was going through. But I began to notice as I went through the different lists that there was an element missing in all but one of them. It was basic honesty, truth-telling. This past week, our church lost a pillar of our family. John Havland was our first executive pastor. He was an elder, a spokesman, a 12-step leader, a small group leader, he was a spiritual father to me. He was a confidant, a safe place, and he was a friend to many people in this room. And this may sound strange, but my friend John would often share with me the most loving words that ever came out of his mouth when he would say, Grant, my son, you're wrong. You're wrong. John loved me enough to be truthful, 
There was a time when John and I were disagreeing over a salary package for a prospective pastor. And John came to me and said, Grant, not only are you wrong, you're also cheap. And it was hard to argue with John because John worked for this church for an entire year for a salary of one American dollar. John hurt my feelings that day, I'll be honest. But I needed his truth-telling. He was right. He hurt my feelings. He did not harm my soul. Those two things are very, very different. He loved me enough to speak the truth into my life that I needed to hear even though I didn't really want to hear it. So I have an assertion this morning. A real friend will wound you with the truth if it means you becoming everything that God created you to be. Now, anybody who wounds you for some kind of sick pleasure or just for the fun of it, they are no friend. And if you've got somebody like that in your life, you need to ditch them today, okay? The Bible actually addresses this hard, difficult, almost unheard of aspect of friendship in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6. I give you three versions because I think they're all so important. The New International Version says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. The New Living Translation says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. English Standard Version says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So when an enemy wants to take advantage of you or is trying to deceive you, they will try to get very, very close to you, as close as they possibly can. They will get into the personal space of your heart just close enough to stab you in the back. So think Judas, think Brutus, but a faithful friend at the other end of the spectrum will love you enough to tell you the truth about you, even if you don't want to hear it. Gracious truth tellers are unicorns. And I thank God I'm married to a unicorn. My wife is a truth teller. Laurel will love me enough to speak the truth about me. And I don't always like it because sometimes it's hard to hear, but I, I, I can say this from experience. The most loving gift you can ever receive from anyone is when they love you enough to tell you the truth about you. It's a faithful wound from a truth-telling friend. And the truth is, most of us in this room are horrible at this. We are horrible at truth-telling. And let me tell you why. It's because we're cowards and there's a cost. Some of you are already offended with that truth, okay? The word coward seems a little harsh, right? But here's the definition. A coward is a person who lacks the courage to do or to endure an unpleasant or dangerous thing. Truth-telling is hard. It, it takes courage to tell the truth. And, and most of us get caught up in, in this little thought. Well, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, so I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. So someone asked the question, do these pants make me look fat? And we're like, no, no. They're just really full in a, in a, in a flattering sort of a way, Right? right? We just don't want to have to deal with the cost of truth-telling, so what do we do? We say nothing or we lie. Why? Because sometimes the truth hurts. Because that old adage, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you, that's a lie. We don't want to pay the cost. And the truth is, truth-telling can cost you something. It could cost you a friendship. It could cost you a promotion. It could cost you a business deal. It could cost you restful sleep because something is stirred up inside of your life between another person. So most of us look at the idea of truth-telling and we choose silence and we justify it. 
We say, no, 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 no. I, I, I'm just, I'm just going to live on the gracious side of these conversations. I'm going to remind you, Jesus was a man of grace and truth. And so we choose to be terminally nice with each other. We back off. We don't have the hard conversations. And it doesn't work for anybody except for Jesus. Let me just be honest with you for a second. I love the warm, fuzzy side of my relationship with Jesus. It's kind of, it, it's a little sickly even when I describe it that way, but, but I kind of like that the companionship side of Jesus who comes alongside and pats me on the head and tells me what a good guy that I am. What I don't always appreciate is when Jesus comes and loves me enough to expose the truth about me, the true condition of my soul. And if you don't think he does that, you need to put on your seatbelt right now. Let me give you four examples of the truth-telling of Jesus. Luke chapter 10. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Here's the deal. I am such a people pleaser, I would have tried to broker an agreement between these two sisters. I mean, I'm just like, come on, Mary and Martha, hug it out. Let's go. All right. All right. You know, you're out of the kitchen. You're out of, come on, come on, right here in the living room. Like, let's just make nice with each other. You know, let's just get along. Come on, girls. You know, we can do this together because I put a high value on, on harmony and repair. And apparently Jesus is not exactly that way in this particular moment. And Martha hasn't done anything malicious here, but Jesus tells her the truth. Martha, you got this one wrong. You chose the dishes over me. Your sister chose right, you chose wrong, so could you do me a favor, sit down, dinner's going to wait. He's saying lovingly to her, I want to expose your addiction to busyness. Martha, I do care, I want you to do work, but I want you to do the right work, and you just missed it by a little bit. You weren't doing anything, it's not, it wasn't malicious or evil, you just missed it by just a little bit. Anybody else in the room addicted to busyness and just missing it? by a hair, seven of you. The rest of you are lying. <laughs> I never get tired of saying it. If the devil won't make you bad, he'll make you busy. That's one example of Jesus' truth-telling. And some of us in the room are Martha's and we're just like, that's not fair and I don't like that because we all, know the we all know this to be true. If the Martha's weren't doing what they were supposed to do in the world, nothing would ever get done. Not according to Jesus. Here comes another one. Jesus is going to talk to some religious experts about how far they're missing it. Matthew chapter 23, he comes to a group of religious leaders who are really, 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 really consumed with making sure that all this stuff is really put together in their life, that are observing all of the rules. And Jesus says this to them, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single comfort, and when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Wow. I'm not sure how you say child of hell in a really nice way. Like, that's a tough one. That's hard truth right there. But don't miss the truth of the truth. Jesus loved the Pharisees enough to speak truth to them, and there was a cost to him. Jesus was not a coward 
The cost was his life. And the reason he was willing to give himself on the cross for this group of people, because he knew the religiosity of the Pharisees was actually killing them, and the pressure they were putting on people and burdening people with their judgment was just over the top. These are hard, loving, truthful words that I'm sure they must have stung. Here's another example. Jesus is talking to his closest circle of friends, like his disciples, his inner circle. And he tells them, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And Peter, the ringleader, grabs him. It says, he took Jesus aside and rebuked him. (laughs) For the record, rebuking God never goes well for any of us, okay? Just so we're clear. Takes him aside, and it's just kind of like, Jesus, like, can you stop this dying talk? Like, we're trying to build a movement and increase the membership. You keep talking about dying, like, kind of not good for morale. Keep it down. Jesus responds and says to Peter, Matthew 16, 23, get behind me, Satan, You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. My modern paraphrase, Peter, you devil, get behind me. All you're thinking about is your position in the new kingdom. You're thinking accolades and status. Anybody else in the room ever been consumed with accolades or status? Five of you and the rest of you are still lying. (laughs) (laughs) And Peter, you're chasing your kingdom, not my kingdom. Your kingdom wants status and a life of ease and convenience. My kingdom wants service, and, and you're going to have to die to get it. Those are tough words. One more. Luke 11. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was surprised when he noticed Jesus didn't first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. Tough words. Jesus is breaking rules here. Just so you know, in this culture, you would always wash ceremonially your feet, your hands, often your head, and then you would eat. You clean the exterior. Those were the rules, but Jesus is actually using this moment as as an object lesson. I can just see him walking straight past the wash bowl, sitting down at the meal, and then looking at all of the eyes that were staring at him. It's like, Pharisees, boy, you guys are all pretty on the outside. Man, you got your fancy stuff, and you're managing your image. Boy, it looks really, really good. But on the inside, here's what I know. You're full of greed and idolatry and rotten rule keeping. And just for the record, your truth is not my truth. Wow. Now, some of you are like, okay, I get it, Grant. You want us to be truth tellers. So I'm ready. Tuesday morning, I'm going to load up some truth and I'm going to take it to my employees and they're going to get it like they have never gotten it before. And this Thanksgiving, when my family sits down at our turkey table, they're going to hear some truth from me and I'm not holding anything back. Hold on. (laughs) Truth telling that harms a person's spirit is not loving, it's cruel. There's a difference between hurt and harm. There's a difference between hurting feelings and harming a soul. When John and Laurel lovingly point out character defects in me, it hurts. But I know this. The reason they're doing it is because they love me. They love me. They know I'm not living up to everything God created me to be, and they need me to know the truth 
about me. So I will commission you not to go out and just spray truth all over the place, but to live out Ephesians chapter 4. Speak the truth in love. Stay with me, okay? We read the words of Jesus, like he's talking to his closest circle of friends here, and some of us are like, wow. I'm not sure I want that kind of truth-telling And I'm going to say it again. None of these people are the villains of the story. None of these people are being malicious or intentionally evil. They're just missing it. I mean, the Pharisees were just missing. They were missing about this much. And it took them to religion instead of relationships. Martha missed it, but just a little bit. And she just got caught up in the wrong room doing the wrong thing. And she missed out on relationship. Peter thought he was doing the right thing. He just missed relationship with Jesus just by a little. And here's my question. How many of us are just missing it by a little bit? How many of us just are uncomfortable with God's truth to us and we see the finger of Jesus coming into contact with a tender area of our sinfulness or our humanness and we don't want it to hurt so we pull away? Can I tell you what will happen if you pull away? You're going to hear voices. We've been talking about it through the whole series. First voice you're going to hear is the voice of accusation. And this is what Satan's going to say. He's going to say, you're too broken. You're outside of God's grace. His grace can't reach you. You're too far gone. You're too broken, too ruined. And you're so ruined, you can't handle the truth about you. And there's something in our brokenness that actually agrees with it. I call it the voice of shame. We just say, you know what? You're right. I can't handle the truth about me. I don't want to hear the truth about me because it hurts too much and I can't take anything else in my, on my life right now and so I'm going to pull away from the one true friend because I don't know what to do with a truth-telling friend who knows the truth about me. Think about this for a second, okay? And don't get me wrong. I am a fan of counseling and therapy. I do both. Some of you are like, I go to a church where the pastor needs a therapist and a counselor. Yes, welcome to Christ the King, right? (laughs) Welcome to Christ the King. Don't get me wrong, I am not talking bad about counseling and therapy. In fact, I think more of us should get in there and do some really, really hard emotional work. But isn't it interesting that I have to hire somebody to tell me the truth about me? And I'm asking myself the question, who are the friends in my life that I've given permission to tell the truth about me? And if they did tell the truth, would I be willing to listen or not? And where is Jesus in that quest for truth? Am I open to him speaking truth about me? I think one of the most difficult aspects of a friendship with Jesus is that he has this voice of truth. And he will speak to us because he loves us in ways that often are difficult to understand because he just so desperately wants us to reach our full purpose. That voice of truth actually makes a very difficult claim, a difficult claim that our world has a really difficult time understanding because we live in a world of relative moral truth, of of relativistic feeling. It's kind of like however you feel about something, that's the way that it should go. And yet Jesus keeps stepping up and saying this, I am unapologetically exclusive. When it comes to the salvation of your soul, there's only one way. And and, and the world gets angry at that because they're like, no, 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 no. All roads lead to God, man. 
We're, we're all going to get there. God grades on a curve. He's going to slap us a high five. We're all getting in. That's, that just feels better to me than a God who says, no, if you want to get to my father, you got to go through me. Listen to, the Jesus, listen to Jesus' friend of sinners in Matthew 7 say, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. That's offensive to people who go, no, 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 just do what works for you. It's offensive when Jesus stands up and says, no, there's one gate that leads to eternity. One gate, two roads, pick a path, and don't create your own alternative. I sometimes will create an alternative. The alternative is Jesus is my buddy, and we hang out together, and he only tells me the good things that I want to hear, and if I have a crisis, I call to him, and he just shows up and kind of takes care of things for me, and I broker deals with him, and I make statements that I don't mean, like, Jesus, if you get me out of this problem, I promise I will never, ever, 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 ever do this again until next Friday, maybe. <laughs> and I play it safe because it, it just seems like a better option, and in the middle of it, the truth-telling Jesus stands up and says, one gate one path. Few find it, but a lot of people think they're on it. And it freaks them out when they hear Jesus exclusively saying, Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. I read my Bible. This is what I know. True friendship with Jesus starts and ends with obedience. I don't get to say I'm a friend of God if I'm not doing what it is that he's asked me to do. I mean, the fact that God chased me when I was playing spiritual games, that's a testimony to his grace. But the fact that he pressed and chased and crossed the line for me to go to the cross, that is a testimony not only of his patience, but also a testimony of his truth. He is unapologetically exclusive. And if you think those first two chapters or two, first two passages leave you wondering, let, let me allow Jesus to speak for himself. Here's as clear as it gets in John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the truth, and we need to deal with it. So I got a question. It's a question I've been struggling with all week long. Am I willing, would I be open to a faithful wound from a friend named Jesus if it meant that I could be closer to him? Would I give him permission to speak into those broken, tender areas of my life that I would just so love to pretend are not there? Would I welcome the finger of God pressing in on the painful parts of my soul if I knew that he was doing it completely and totally out of love. I'd like to welcome you into my pain. Are you open to a faithful wound from Jesus? It's a yes or no question. Are you open to giving Jesus, the friend of sinners, full access to the dark places in your soul? Will you welcome his truth as he exposes areas that 
just need to go from your life and from your heart? Will you remind yourself that God loves you enough to live with the pain and the cost of that kind of truth? Jesus paid for that kind of truth with his own life. Greater love has no man than this, than a man would lay down his life for his friends. I think it's important to state it again because this just seems like really dangerous work unless we keep reminding ourselves over and over and over again. Faithful wounds are founded and grounded in love. Jesus shot straight with Martha because he loved her. Jesus told the Pharisees the truth because he loved them. Peter was the recipient of difficult truth because Jesus loved him. I mean, just think about it. He wanted Martha to stop worshiping busyness and actually choose relationship. He wanted Peter to be ready to lead his church to the point of his own death. So he lovingly wounded his friend. He just begged him, Peter, choose me. Don't choose status. Don't choose accolades. Don't try, try and get a corner office in this new kingdom that you think is coming. No, 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 no. Choose me. Brian, choose me. Derek, choose me. Katie, choose me. Carl, choose me. Jeannie, choose me. Bruce, choose me. Michelle, choose me. That's the only way to really live. Jesus wanted the Pharisees to see him, the Messiah, so they could be free from all these religious rules and enter fully into a relationship with God. Those were the issues that he loved them enough to put his finger on and say, we need to talk about this. So here's the question. Where is Jesus, a true friend of sinners, pressing in on your heart today? Will you have the courage to lean in even when it gets painful? Or are you going to resist and step away? It takes courage to lean in. And one of the only reasons I could think why we would do that is if we came full circle to where we started today and reminded ourselves of those beautiful scriptures. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. So whenever God starts pressing in, I don't know about you, but I can find about 77 other things that I can be doing at that time. I mean, I'm already thinking about the Sounders game, and if I'm not thinking about Sounders, I'm thinking Monday Night Football. I mean, I'm just like, I got all this stuff in my brain. I just don't want to have to deal with this hard stuff. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. What if you believed today that Jesus loved you so much that he was willing to speak the truth to you about you so that you would open your heart and allow him to actually change you? What if you joined him in that effort? You didn't try to do it on your own. You actually joined him in the effort to change you because nobody loves you like Jesus knows, loves you and nobody knows you like Jesus knows you. I can find a hundred other things to do, but I think God wants us to do this right now. Would you be so courageous as to pray a prayer in your heart and say, Jesus, permission to speak wherever you need to go and whatever you need to say, I'm listening. Love me enough to say it out loud. And I'll listen with everything that I have. And then I'll be obedient and choose the narrow path. Because I believe you are the narrow gate and that's the one I'm going through to get to my heavenly father.
I've found in moments when I want to run away that if I choose the opposite posture and actually worship God, that, that it works better for me. So we're going to do something. Um, we're going to go old school today. The sleep-in service doesn't have a lot of old school people. 1115, you tend to be ones that you, you're kind of you're new to this story, and that's why I love you guys so much. This is the raw, ragged edge right here. My people. Because <laughs> I'm a mess, all right? But I'm going to go old school. So I grew up in a little Baptist church. Pastor Bob Dunlop was my pastor. And I love Pastor Dunlop because whenever he sensed that the Holy Spirit wanted to do some really difficult work, and when he sensed that the people of God were a little freaked out by what Jesus might say, he would always sing the same song. He'd just start singing it. It had one word in it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah just means praise the Lord. So God comes and says, I love you enough to tell you the truth about you. It takes a lot of courage to say, okay, praise God. Here comes the truth about me. And I'm not going to run because faithful are the wounds of a friend. So we would sing a one-word song. And then he would take the words of an old hymn and just throw them right on top. And I remember more mornings in the Baptist church when my faithful friend, Jesus, would show up and say, okay, Grant, let's talk. So if you know it, you can help me out. If you don't know it, you're going to learn it real quick. It's not like you have a lot of words to learn right now, okay? Let's worship him and welcome him to speak the truth to us. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. 
Let's stand and sing it again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, church. Hallelujah. 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 Father God, wherever you placed your loving hand, may we not pull away, but press in. God, whatever you whispered to us, that, that part of your life, that part of your character, it needs to go. God, may we have the courage to surrender it. Lord, thank you for being a faithful friend. Thank you for loving us enough to speak hard truth. God, thank you for being the savior of grace and truth. And may we follow your example this week. And may, before we ever speak truth to anyone else, may we be open to the truth that you need to speak to us. Do this gloriously difficult work in our lives this week, God, and we will give you praise. We will give you our hallelujah. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face -face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.